busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. And I am really excited about the topic today because I think it's one of those topics that is a huge issue both in and out of the church. Oftentimes it's not discussed in Christian circles. Um, and statistics show that over 60% of men regularly look at porn, 30% of women. I found this out on Friday, which was a little surprising to me. But it is a huge issue, especially in today's society where when I was growing up, if you were going to look at pornography, you had to go buy a magazine, which was a much more difficult scenario because there was fear of being seen and it was something that really you had to do in some ways publicly in order to get access to it. And, of course, with today's technology, everybody has access in their back pocket. So uh, it's one of those issues that, that is a taboo that people don't like to talk about, but um, it's a, a huge struggle for a lot of people. Today, our guest, I'm really excited about having him, is a man by the name of Carl Thomas. He's the executive director of Triple X Church. Carl, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I've been really excited about having you on. And, man, I, I want to just jump right into it. If you can, kind of give our listeners a little bit of a, a Reader's Digest version of a backdrop on you. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I'll try to keep it short since the story is relatively long. But 51 now, married, two kids, struggle with pornography addiction most of my early years early being teens, 20s, 30s, into my marriage. Uh, found freedom at age 39. Well, at least put this way, I found sobriety at age 39. True freedom probably was a year or two down the road. Uh, much of that was due to my involvement with uh, X Church at the time as a volunteer. And then I ended, I was in the insurance industry at the time. I was running an insurance agency, left that type of work, and ended up taking a job with Triple X Church full-time at age 40, I believe it was, or 41, so it was many years ago, and handled their websites, their email marketing, uh, ran their online small groups program that they had just started, so they kind of gave that to me to, to build, um, did all sorts of things with them. I was their missions pastor for many years. And then I want to say five years ago at this point, I quit, started a nonprofit called Live Free Ministries. We actually ended up acquiring the small groups program that I had built with Triple X Church over the previous 10, nine or 10 years. Uh, we launched an app for men specifically um, who need help with porn and sex and lust and all that stuff. So it's an online support community. A year later, we launched a community, an online community for spouses. So I call Live Free Wives, and that's for women who are married to the men who are dealing with porn and all that stuff. So they need support. And then last March, I uh, got just got this weird thought in my head. You know, hey, Carl, why don't you reach out to Fireproof and uh, see if they're willing to let you acquire Triple X Church, which I thought that chapter in my life had completely closed. So I ignored it because I thought it must have been something I ate the night before. <laughs> you know, I didn't 
really take it too seriously. But then the thought kept, it just kept hearing it every day. And so finally I said, ah, what the heck? So uh, I texted Craig, who was the executive director at the time uh, of Fireproof, and just said, hey, any chance you'd be interested in letting us acquire Triple X Church? And calls me that night, says, let's talk turkey. And uh, yeah, in March of 2021, Live Free then acquired Triple X Church. And we've been, we've been rocking this thing ever since. Well, let's, let's go backwards. I'd be curious. You know, I mentioned earlier that well, I know when uh, when I was younger, the only way that you could really get pornography was if you went to a, a books adult bookstore or a convenience store, and it was something that really had to be done in secrecy. Um, it, you obviously didn't have access to it uh, in your back pocket because of a cell phone. Because when I was a kid, you didn't have a cell phone, and so Ooh. pornography was 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 really hard to get. So, kind of going backwards, I'd be curious. Um, how how were you originally introduced to pornography? Yeah, it's funny. I hear this story from guys around my age, you know, give or take five years, all the time, and it's a it sounds it's such a familiar story. It sounds almost like it's made up because uh, it's so cliche. But literally, I was I don't know seven or eight, nine, and a friend and I. We're hanging out, and he says, hey, let me show you something. And we go out to the woods. I don't know why anybody stores pornography in the woods. You know, um, wet woods and paper don't seem to get along. But regardless, uh, takes me out, shows me, I don't know what magazine it was. It was some porn magazine. And that was the first time I was ever exposed to that sort of thing. Something inside my brain uh, clicked and said, wow, that's interesting. And then from there, it was, yeah, you're right. I mean, we didn't have, when I was growing up, I didn't have the internet and all these other access tools. So it was just stealing peaks whenever you could. Going to the bookstore, um, checking out the, the nude photography books in the photography section, whatever, whenever I could get it fixed. And that was only once in a while. Uh, but then my father, when I was about 16, this is back when cable, you know, when, you had cable boxes, right? I mean, you probably remember that, right? Of course. And uh, he got something called the black box, you know, which was a descrambling unit. Hooked it up, and then that box could descramble everything, not just the channels you were paying for. And so our local cable provider had two adult channels uh, at the time. And my dad worked, um, his work usually kept him out till. I don't know, seven, eight o'clock at night, many nights. And so I would uh, watch porn, you know, for a couple hours a night whenever I got a chance because my mom was in the living room, didn't really pay attention to what was going on. And yeah, it was just there and easy for me to see. And so that's how I got my early access. And then once I got into college and out of college, that's when the internet kind of came along and, you know, the whole thing opened up. You know, now you had online access it started off with a, a 14.4 modem and then you went to um, broadband and then before you know you're down downloading full movies which was ridiculous for free so yeah well man and and i i relate to what you're saying i remember the first time i saw a pornographic image and quite frankly it was an honest deal me and a, a buddy in the middle of summer were walking down the street and i'd never seen pornography never even seen a, a nude woman i don't remember how young i was but i was young and uh, there was a, a local place here called Funland. it was kind of like a little 
mini amusement park. And we were walking in the middle of the summer, and there was a magazine literally uh, on curbside. And, I mean, we just walked by it, not even knowing what it was. And uh, the magazine had been torn half, and half of it was there and half of it wasn't. And um, like I say, I'd never even seen a nude woman, never even accidentally seen my mother, and literally just walked by it. And, I I mean, it it just completely – it was a shocker for me. And, and so, uh, I, I get that, you know, of how now, now tell me this kind of backing up also before we kind of dig a little bit deeper at what age did you become a believer? Because I know obviously just from your story, this was an issue in your life off and on began in an early age. I think you said seven at what age did you become a believer? Uh, a good question. You know, cause if you go by the traditional, Hey, when did you do the sinner's prayer thing? Uh, I was young, you know, six or seven. I don't know. Was it Sunday school? I mean, I'm not saying I didn't accept Jesus in my heart back then, but, you know, throughout college and high school, the only thing that kept me uh, connected, if you will, to my belief system was the fact that, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus in my heart, therefore I'm not going to hell, right? And that was about it. And, uh, but not really a relationship, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially going into college and in late twenties, early thirties, I just did whatever the heck I wanted. And my, my salvation was basically just fire insurance. Uh, but then after I got married and after we had our first child, I started getting really bad anxiety attacks and have no idea to this day why they, they just creeped up at that point. But, it was pretty bad for a season. And I remember one night I just, yeah, I just kind of collapsed and it was just me in the bedroom on the ground. And I just said, Hey Lord, you know, if this is the best it gets, then then so be it, you know, whatever you decide, I'm good. I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm tired of doing things however I've been doing it. And, uh, and I just trust you here. And that means I got to deal with anxiety for the rest of my life. And, and then it is what it is. And, uh, you know, so, you know, who knows? Um, I would say, again, traditionally speaking, six or seven, but in terms of like entering a real relationship and really trying to live it out, um, four, uh, let's see, 30, like 34, 35. Yeah, man. And I get that as well. I mean, I don't want to get too far off topic, but like you, when I was a, a young boy, I walked and I'll pray to prayer thought I was, uh, that thought I'd became a believer by accepting Christ, but I hadn't had no idea what I was doing and really spent the rest of my life until I turned 21 thinking I was a Christian when I wasn't, I'd prayed a prayer. I'd been baptized, but the relationship wasn't real. And then at 21, I realized that even though I'd prayed this prayer, I really didn't have an understanding or a commitment to Christ. And so I would say similar to you, I would say, Hey, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a young kid, but actually for me, be, actually became a true believer when I was 21. And I've heard this story again. I don't want to dovetail too far off on this, but it, it sounds like you may have a similar story to mine that your true, a, a true relationship where you really came to know the Lord was not when you initially prayed a prayer, but it, as you got older. Yeah, correct. Now, yeah. mind you, when that happened, I still was looking for it, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Well, and that was the next thing I kind of wanted to, to go from there. So, when you began this true relationship with the Lord, maybe that was the time that you truly 
you know, really accepted Christ as your Savior, and there was this turnaround in your life, was there a conviction about the porn? And, and did you continue to, obviously, I guess from your story, you continued to look at it. Did you deal with a lot of guilt and condemnation as a result of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd say there's, when it comes to like pornography use, even outside of being a believer or not a believer, there's definitely stages, if you will, or groups of people. I mean, there's, there's, there's those people who think it's perfectly fine and there's no just part of sexual, you know, healthy sexual life, right? It's just, a, it's just a thing. And uh, that probably was me in college and uh, late twenties. Like I didn't care. Like I looked at it. It was great. I enjoyed it and uh, had no desire to quit. Um, then I got married and in my, I think 31. And when I got married, there was kind of like this <sighs> sort of guilt. You know, I know I'm not really technically supposed to do this as a Christian, but whatever, right? And uh, so I still wasn't really feeling fully convicted. I just knew there was probably, it probably wasn't the right thing to do, but I still didn't totally care. Figured I could get away with it. Um, and yeah, then after after that event in my life, that's when I started feeling more conviction about it, or shame is probably the better word because conviction leads you to do something about it and shame just makes you feel like crap. So probably started feeling more shame about it because I really didn't do anything other than just try to quit through willpower, which never works. Uh, and yeah, it just continued on until 30, when I was 39 and I went through a bunch of, you know, went through a few different experiences in my life that kind of brought everything full circle and made me realize what I needed to do. Now, before we get that far, I, 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 I want to do uh, dovetail just for a minute because you made a comment, and I think a lot of people are there. I think there's going to be people listening to this podcast that go, hey, whether they're a believer or not a believer, there are going to be people that have the same feelings that you do. They're going to say, listen, I'll look at porn, but, I mean, it's really no big deal. Um, there's really nothing wrong with it. Yeah, you know, I know the Bible says I shouldn't lust, but I could be doing a lot worse things. What would you say as somebody who has dealt with a porn addiction, what what would you say to our listeners today who may be under that persuasion that it's really not that big of a deal, I'm not hurting anybody? How would you respond to that? I mean, how would you respond to that person that says, I'm not hurting anybody, there's no damage being done, what's what's the problem, what's wrong with it? What would you say to those folks? Well, at Triple H Church, I mean, we, we deal with a lot of Christians, don't get me wrong, because... Again, many Christians don't even think it's a big deal. Um, but we try to make sure that we're keeping our path of communication, if you will, or messaging wide enough that we can also talk to people that don't have a faith in in Jesus, right? So in order to talk to somebody effectively, whether they're a believer or not a believer, we try to stay out of the realm of, Sin talk and moral talk. I mean, obviously, as a Christian, you have a have a biblical worldview of sexuality. The morality aspect is a huge one, right? But if you just want to throw that out the door, or you don't buy into it, or you don't think it's that big a deal, uh, then we try to approach it from a, just a health perspective. Hey, is this is this really good for you? You know, is it is it healthy for you to um, 
go download porn for an hour and a half in some dark corner of the house because you had a bad day and you don't know how to emotionally deal with it. So the easiest thing is to just go look at porn for an hour and a half. Like, is that good for you? And I think even people who have no faith in God, I think they'd have to admit if they're being honest with themselves that, yeah, surfing the computer for three and four hours at a time to find naked people is not the best use of my time and probably not the healthiest thing for me overall, right? So the morality aspect, obviously, I'm not going to minimize it. I think it's a thing, but there's no denying just the health aspect. The healthy person doesn't drive down a road, see, uh, let's just say, a woman jogging in a tight top and think to themselves, you know what? I think I got to go home, look at porn and masturbate. Like that's not what a healthy person does, uh, and and there's no gain around that. It's just it's just not healthy, right? And, and for people though that think, okay, you're saying it's not healthy, but quantify what 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 real damage is being done. I mean, I, I think of things, uh, and obviously I don't have the expertise because I don't deal with people. I mean, even though I certainly encounter this, I don't deal with people as, at the level that you do as being involved with Live Free Ministries and Triple X Church and Fireworks Ministry. But, um, and, and I have heard so many people talk about how that it changed their perspective of, of women. It became objectifying them. I've heard people tell me that it tainted their view of what a healthy sex life really was. I've heard people tell me that it got to a place where even though they loved their spouse, husband, and or wife, that they no longer could even get uh, physically uh, excited. Uh, so, I mean, I've heard some of these things, but for our listeners today that go, okay, you're saying that it's damaging. You're saying that it's not good, but could you quantify with the level of expertise that you have, what are some of those ways? Are, are they the things that I mentioned? Are, are, are they greater things? What are they? Yeah, some of the stuff you mentioned, I'm not going to say aren't legit. Certainly, pornography teaches us, if you will, some unhealthy or unrealistic expectations about what sex should look like, uh, what sex does for us, right? There's no denying any of that. I mean, that those are certainly legitimate um, casualties, if you will, casualties of war, but Ultimately, I think, especially Christians struggle with this the most. What they need to, I think what most people need to understand is that pornography use, and especially when we're talking about habitual pornography use, right? It's not about sex per se. Yes, obviously what you're doing is sexually related. So it kind of sounds kind of crazy when you say, well, it's not about sex, right? But it's not so much about a need for sex or a lack of self-control, or the fact that you're just, quote-unquote, horny all the time. It's really more about uh, our inability as individuals to handle emotional events in our life. We grow up, we, we experience trauma of some sort. When I say trauma, I'm not limiting it to just sexual abuse. Um, you could argue that all sorts of things are traumatic, right? Depending on, it could be friends. It could be the way your family handles you or talks to you. It could be all sorts of things. It could be church trauma. But we deal with these things growing up. 
we don't formulate healthy ways to deal with that stuff. And so we go to, uh, clinically speaking, what you would call maladaptive measures. There's adaptive measures, which would be the stuff that we should do, right? Uh, hey, I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to think through this. I'm, whatever. I'm going to blow off some steam by going to the gym. There's adaptive measures, and there's maladaptive measures, which would be porn, uh, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Escape. And so we – but, yeah, exactly, escape. And so we, we, we go to these maladaptive measures, and some people – I mean, not to, not to sound crazy here, but the reality is some people are compulsive eaters, right? They eat to an unhealthy level because that's their escape mechanism. Sure, some shop, people drugs, are, whatever. Yeah, yeah, compulsive gamblers. It, it, ultimately, it's all basically the same thing. Porn, of course, especially, again, in the church world, has this unique aspect to it because there is that morality element, right? Uh, hey, you're, are you you're cheating on your wife? You're doing this, you're doing that. So it, it does complicate things a bit, but ultimately it's still, what you're dealing with is still the same beat. It's, this is how I deal with life and, and the uncertainties of life and the anxieties of life and the stressors that I run into. This is how I deal with it. And that's not, what we're supposed to do. And the more you go to that thing, the more your brain is going to say, yep, that that's the way we got to go because those things register with us. It registers with our brain. Our brain understands that an orgasm feels pretty dang amazing. So why sit with your thoughts and go through all of the discomfort and pain of having to sit with your thoughts, reflect, Think about maybe what you did wrong in a situation or how it could have gone better when you can just do the easy thing, go across the room, turn on your computer, and look at naked women for the next hour and masturbate. Like, why, why deal with the, you know, the difficult stuff? And that's what we end up doing. So the more we do it, the worse it gets. The, so, the, so, the more emotionally immature we become. And then, yeah, then all this other stuff kind of comes in as, uh, as secondary problems, right? Yeah, it, it also teaches you the wrong things about how to approach your wife when it comes to sex. It teaches you um, unrealistic expectations about what sex should look like and how it is. And, you know, and so all that stuff also kind of gets added on to the, to the mix. Um, but so you, you, you believe that the primary reason that the majority, I, I, I'm saying, I think that what you're saying is you believe the primary reason that most people have an addiction to pornography is it's an escape mechanism. It's not because they think this is okay and it's for enjoyment. You're saying, if I understand you correctly, that people are doing this, as you mentioned, whether it be food or alcohol or drugs or whatever. It's an escape mechanism. You don't think that the majority of people are doing this just because it's something that they do for enjoyment. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say when we're, you know, when we're talking about habitual use, yes. Uh-huh. You know, now if you're, if you're a guy and you don't struggle with porn on a regular basis and your wife's out of town and you're feeling kind of ranty and you decide to watch an R-rated flick on Netflix because you know there's nudity, that's a little bit of a different story. It's not necessarily escape. It's, yeah, what are you doing? Right? Like, that's your wife and you shouldn't be doing that stuff. But when we're dealing with habitual use specifically, yeah, it's, it's generally escape. And before we move on, kind of piggybacking on this 
for our listeners, again, whether they're believers or not believers, as a result of them embracing these maladaptive measures, this escape mechanism, I think some people might listen to this and say, okay, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's an escape measure, but what's wrong with that? I mean, what is the consequence of of doing that? What is the long-term repercussions? So yeah, I mean, it may taint my view of what a healthy sex life looks like. It may taint what I really believe a woman's response to a man is or what a woman's desire is because what's portrayed is not reality. But beyond that, I mean, is there really any long-term consequences? What would be your answer to that? I mean, honestly, I hate to say it, but if that's where you're coming from, if that's the perspective you're coming from, there's not much I can say. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think that it's perfectly fine to deal with life through escape mechanisms rather than being mature enough to actually deal with life, I can't convince you of otherwise. Um, if you think that um, damaging the relationships you have in your marriage, damaging the trust you have with your wife, all these things isn't a problem. I can't convince you otherwise. Is in the recovery world, there's a reason that the idea of rock bottom is such a such a huge thing. Right? A lot of men, regardless of 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 the of the the poison you're dealing with, right? Alcohol, drugs, whatever. There's a lot of problems. People need to hit rock bottom before they get serious about it, because mm-hmm. rock bottom forces them to deal with the reality of what they basically created. Oh, okay. I'm a gambling addict and now my house is being foreclosed on and I have no credit and I can't get a car. And wow, now I see what I did was not such a good idea. <laughs> like, right. That's, that's why rock bottom is necessary for so many people because that's, that's, that's their reality check that what they've been telling themselves all this time is just a lie. But man, listen, you can't, you can't convince some people. You got to just listen. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. If you don't want to listen to me, all right. God bless you. Right. Um, I'll see you in a few years when it all blows apart. Yeah, I just think that in lieu of the fact that so many people, um, married or unmarried, really think it's not a big deal. I mean, I think that the nucleus, I think the majority of people, um, especially unmarried people in the younger generation, I think go, man, I mean, there are no consequences. I mean, there, there is no big deal. I, I, I just fear that there are people that are going to hear this podcast and they don't realize that repercussions are coming down the road that while they may not have experienced them yet, that it is a big deal and that it does taint uh, views and perceptions and, and it is an escape mechanism. But I guess, what you're saying, I mean, and it holds true with anybody that has any kind of addiction. Until you first realize that you have a problem, anybody's wasting their time because if you don't realize you have a problem, you're not going to be willing to do anything to fix it. Yeah, and also I think sometimes, again, this a lot of this is going to be based upon your worldview. If you're not a believer and you don't see sex the way God sees sex, and you know, it's a much more limiting conversation, right? Because you can't you can't convince somebody of the damage it might be doing to your marriage. If you think that that's a healthy part, pornography is healthy for married couples to do together. Like I'm not going to be able to convince you otherwise, if that's your worldview, um, I can still lean into all the unhealthy stuff and 
the emotional management and those things like that's undeniable. Um, but when you're dealing with believers specifically, I think unfortunately, I mean, at least this is, this is the case in my, in, in my situation. I never grew up with a healthy understanding of what sex was really all about in the first place. All I knew was it was this thing that feels really good. I'm, but for some reason, God just doesn't want me to do it till I'm married. And there was no explanation of it. It was just, it, it felt like kind of mean, right? Like, hey, this is great. Why can't I do it as much as possible? Why are you holding back on me when I could just be really having a good time with a bunch of people? Um, but I lacked, I lacked the understanding of what really sex was all about and what the purpose of sex was and why it's such a key factor in building intimacy in a marriage. And yeah, it just, you, you gotta, once you understand it, okay, Hey, when I have sex with somebody and there's an orgasm, there's a release of, of uh, neurotransmitters that, literally chemically bond me with the person that I'm having sex with. Like that's powerful, right? And so if you don't understand all that and you just view sex as this pastime, just a fun thing to do, right? Just no different than shooting basketball. And it just so happens to either work best for marriage or that's what we're being told. Yeah. There's a good chance you're going to walk into this conversation saying, I don't really see the big deal. Um, when you understand the big picture about sex and sexuality in general and its role and, and how it's so critical in terms of um, a healthy marriage and relationships and why God gave it to us as a gift and how we're supposed to steward that gift, then you can start to appreciate, okay, I see why this is not such a good thing to engage in. Yeah, well, and you made a, a statement, and I think a lot of people have felt, uh, you know, you used the analogy that some folks or, or even you felt, hey, you know, this is something that, I enjoy this is something that feels good. Why not enjoy it? And right. a lot of people don't understand that God put boundaries on a lot of things. And it wasn't to prevent people from having a good time. It was no different than if you're on the 11th floor of a hotel and there's a barrier so that you don't fall over the edge. It's not meant so you can't run down the hallway and have a good time. It's meant so you don't have to deal with the repercussions of jumping over that boundary or falling over it, i.e., it could be a sexually transmitted disease. It could be an unwanted pregnancy that might lead to an abortion. Um, it could be um, uh, an affair. Uh, you know, so a, a matter of fact, a lot of the uh, consequences that are that come about. I mean, there there, pro- there would be no sexually transmitted disease if people waited till they got married and had sex only with their spouse. There would be probably very few abortions. I'm not saying it would completely alleviate them. But a large percentage of abortions would be done away with because um, not to say that there wouldn't be married couples that might occasionally want one, but it wouldn't be at near the level that it is. So I, I think you're right that a lot of people don't understand that this barrier God put up wasn't punishment. It was protection. And that when you break that barrier, I mean, I was talking with somebody earlier today and one of their kids uh, got pregnant outside of marriage. And um, man has found out that this individual is not the person they thought they were. And uh, there's already a lot of consequences that are unfolding 
between families, and it's it's just turned into a big mess. So I think I think people will resonate with that and at least recognize that while there may be an idea that it's God just stomping out fun, no, it was a gift from God to begin with. And and as the old illustration goes, a fire brings a lot of comfort and warmth and entertainment when it's confined to its proper place. But when it breaks out of those boundaries of the fireplace, the whole house burns down. One of the things that I wanted to discuss, and, and I'm making an assumption here, um, I'm assuming that you know you had this pornography addiction, and probably you would have thought, correct me if I'm wrong, that when I get married, then I'll probably not have this addiction anymore because I'll be married and I'll be in the confines of marriage and I'll have the ability to, to have these needs, these needs met. Obviously, correct. the pornography addiction continued after you were married. And I'd be curious a couple of things. Was I correct that you thought that you would overcome it when you got married? I'd be curious also, did your wife know that you had this pornography addiction? And thirdly, how did it affected her? Wow, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I'll try to answer it quickly. One, yes, I I won't say I thought marriage would fix it all at, at that point in my life, but I definitely thought it would become less of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, I can have sex whenever I want now with my wife. Of course, that's an unrealistic expectation too. But, yes, it is. You know, um, th- that that was definitely something. And uh, I know a lot of guys who have fought the same thing, many, many guys, usually Christian. And in my case, and in most of the cases of the men I've dealt with, we all say the same thing. It got worse. It didn't get better. Uh, but that that goes to the whole idea of this isn't about sex. It's about how I manage my life. So you think about it, you're going from being a single dude where you only have to worry about if you have an apartment or a house, maybe you don't, but maybe you're living with a mom, like half America these days, but um, you only have to worry about rent, car payment, car insurance. Maybe you're scoring a little bit of savings and, and that's it. It's just you uh, to now you have a family to worry about. You have a wife to worry about. You have a in theory mortgage to worry about. Like there's so much more on the line. Then there's the dynamics of just the relationship every day, having to deal with another individual, not seeing things the same way having to filter your your desires or your wants through them and make sure that you guys are on the same page. Like it just adds a whole level of stressors that you never had to deal with. So if you're going to porn to deal with stress and anxiety, uh, for lack of a better word, in your life, you're going to probably go to it more often because now you just brought on more stress and anxiety in your life. Um, as far as your second question goes, I did not tell her when I went into marriage. That was a mistake, but I didn't. Um, I did confess to her after our first child was born, and that was rough, but I did. And how did it affect her? I would say the effects on her were significant, but were not necessarily immediately realized or felt. Because when I went to her and confessed, she tells me now she was relieved. Because she thought maybe I was having an affair. Not that there was any, I wasn't leaving paper trails. Um, I wasn't doing anything that would point to an affair. She just thought there was something off with me. And, uh, and yeah, like I tell guys a lot of times, listen, you might think your wife doesn't know, but I can almost guarantee you that 
there's something going on in the back of her head where she's thinking to herself, something ain't right here. And uh, that was the case with my wife. So when I told her, oh, yeah, I look at porn, she was almost relieved. Like, oh, my gosh, thank God he's not sleeping with the neighbor. So she right? didn't feel betrayal that, okay. Oh, no, she felt betrayed. She was just immediately relieved. But then. It was a lesser of then, two evils. I mean. It, it's, yeah, well, and, you know, in her mind, yeah. But then from there on, then I think that's where kind of some of the resentment and anger built from. Because, yeah, she was being betrayed. And it was, in essence, the same thing. And uh, and but even then she'll tell anybody who asked her that the thing that hurt the most wasn't even the porn use. It was the dishonesty about it. Because once I told her that this is something I deal with, um, then when she would come to me and say, Hey, how is it? And I'd say, I'm doing better. And then she'd find out I wasn't doing better because I'd leave something on my computer open. And she said that was the that was really the worst was was my lack of honesty about it because she could, in some ways, deal with the fact that I was going through this process and trying to get free and that it wasn't going to happen overnight. Um, but one thing that she couldn't really deal with very well was the dishonesty, which yeah, that that just crushes you because and that just speaks to the whole betrayal idea. Well, and that's a common denominator with most people where there's this level of secrecy, and and I've always believed. That um, that man, number one, what you keep hidden eventually comes to light. And usually whatever you're holding in secret usually must be an issue. And and um, I've even said the statement, you're only as sick as your secrets. And so uh, that that can certainly any degree of secrecy in a marriage can be problematic, especially when it's something of this level. Absolutely. So uh, I'm assuming at this point you're feeling like, hey, um, I can whip this thing. I I can overcome this thing. My wife knows about it. At least I've come out. I've been honest about it. I I guess at this point you recognize that you have an addiction, and are you still telling yourself that you're going to be able to whip it on your own? No, I I would honestly say it's quite the opposite. Um, It was more, well, the alone part, yes, but, it was more of, I don't think I'll ever be done with it. So I'm going to try my best by myself, um, but I'm not really holding my breath because every time I try, the best I can squeak out is a few days or a week, and then I'm right back in it. And then as um, a believer, was- on top of all that, as a believer, <clears throat> there's this ongoing guilt and condemnation that you know here you're a person who – uh, has a has a relationship with Christ. You know this is damaging to your relationship with her. You know this is not God's intention for your life. So I'm I'm assuming that you're carrying a lot of blame and guilt on top of everything else. Yeah, and again, there I would say probably more shame than guilt because shame is more about you know oh man I can't believe I did this what a scumball I am. Uh, guilt I mean there's good guilt and bad guilt. Don't get me wrong, but guilt in theory at least you're 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 laying the blame where it is right it's like i did this wrong thing or i'm doing this wrong behavior and that makes me feel guilty whereas shame is i'm just a really bad person i can't believe i'm doing this so i'd say it was more shame than anything but yes i was carrying around an increased amount of shame most likely uh because yeah i had a i had a faith in god which which added to the mix and so, yeah. and and out of curiosity 
is your wife, is there like some accountability system between the two of you where your wife says, uh, you know, how are you doing on a regular basis or is double checking your computer? Is there anything like that in place? These days? No, no, I no. Mean, I mean, at the time, her. I mean, at that time, Oh, at the time, uh, no, not so much. She would just ask me how things were. Um, I was trying to get an accountability partner. That was really difficult. I finally, I finally found a really good one and that's right around the time where I started to see some progress, but she, uh, no, she, she would just ask me, Hey, how's it going? And then I would tell her usually in a more generic response. Um, yeah, I'm doing better. Okay. And Were you doing better? I mean, was that an honest answer? Sometimes and oftentimes no. So this goes on, you were married um, how long? Because I know eventually we get to this place where you're able to break free. How long were you married before you broke free? And then tell us, how did you break free? I mean, because I think that's the crux of the matter. Eventually we want to get to is there are people that have been struggling with this issue off and on forever and still haven't been able to overcome it. And so... How long were you married, and then what finally breaks? Did you hit rock bottom? I mean, take us through those steps of how long this went on as a married man, and then what takes place to finally break this cycle? It was eight years. Wow. I married at 31. I found freedom at 39. Um, So that's an easy answer. In terms of how I broke free, so it's funny. I didn't know, not that I'm saying I'm this, super smart guy or anything, but I didn't know as much about this topic then as I do now. In fact, I knew very little about it. Didn't understand the whole emotional aspects of it. Didn't understand the escape mechanism, the escape aspect of it. I just knew it was a behavior that I needed to stop uh, for most of those eight years. And um, I kind of, if you will, backed myself in accidentally into a healthier understanding of what I was dealing with. It just, but it wasn't, hey, I read a book and I connected the dots. I actually accidentally, if you will, connected the dots, which then matched up with the book, right, if that makes sense. So, you know, I would look, I would look, I would look. Um, I, I, I was following Triple X Church at the time more because of their missions efforts, not so much because of the recovery resources. And that seems so and, weird. i, I got to stop you there because it seems uh... – so strange, you know, you would think, okay, man, here's a guy, you know, he's got a struggle. He knows it. He's been honest with his, somewhat honest with his wife about it. He knows it's an issue in his life. He knows that triple X church is the kind of group that helps people like him. It, it just, it's almost, it just seems unusual that you would think that that's the reason that you reached out to them going, okay, I know I've got an issue. These are people that can help me. Yeah, you would think, but it, it, once you kind of understand the situation, it honestly makes a lot of sense because, um, again, if you're coming into this conversation or this part in your life with the false assumption that it's probably not going to get any better because you quote unquote tried everything, right? And that's what that's what you believe. Hey, I've, I've done everything. I tried to shut down my computer. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. I keep going. And what tried everything usually equates to is just willpower, right? I've tried over and over and over again, and it doesn't get any better, so I don't have any reason to believe it's going to magically get any better. And so you're less incentivized to 
take advantage of resources or people out there that are promising you help because in your mind you're thinking to yourself, man, I've already been down that road. It doesn't get any better. Again, you're mistaken, but that's, that's the assumption, right? Because you really don't understand the nature of what you're dealing with totally. And so that was kind of me. And then in terms of being attracted to X Church because of their mission, uh, if you knew me really well, that wouldn't surprise you at all. Because I'm just, that's always been me. I mean, uh, I'm always intrigued by out-of-the-box, out-of-the-box anything. I'm always, you know, if it if it's, goes against the uh, the norm, right, or if it's kind of out there, I'm always interested in it because I, I just gotcha. I enjoy people that kind of push against the push against the rules, um, and that's that's kind of my nature. I'm not saying it's always a good thing, but that's kind of my nature. So I was very intrigued by the way they handle missions because I grew up in a really traditional background, and um, Triple X Church didn't abide by those rules. They they did their own thing, and they you know they go to sex shows and hand out Bibles because Jesus loves porn stars, and like this was all stuff that my traditional upbringing would have fainted at. So that drew me in. I was like, oh man, this is so cool. This is these are my type of people, and so I wanted to. Uh, I, I, I followed I followed that aspect of them. Read some of the books Craig wrote, who was the who was the founder, and uh, then the opportunity came along to join uh, one of their missions teams because they were doing a an outreach in Jersey in New Jersey where I live, and the, the partner church that was helping field the team was uh, led by this guy I knew, um, this guy named Jeff, who, who was great, just a great pastor, great guy, and he's still a great friend today. And so I reached out to Jeff, and I said, hey, do you think I could join your team? And uh, he said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And Jeff knew that I had dealt with pornography. I just don't think he realized at the time that it was still an ongoing struggle for me. And uh, he and I laugh all the time about it, like even now, 10 years later. Jeff, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know, Carl. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I just assumed you had this thing kicked. Um, but I ended up on this trip to to uh, to go to a porn show, and right around the same time, I had just started seminary. Um, and because I was, I, I felt like God had something for me in the ministry world. I had no idea what that looked like, but I just felt the need to be better prepared for it, if you will. So I just started a master's level course at seminary. I had just found an accountability partner. So it was like, it was this perfect storm, if you will, all these factors kind of coming in at once. And um, I go up to the training dinner for the show. And at the end, I go talk to this guy who I just start conversation. And he has no idea that I'm, I'm still dealing with porn in my life. And uh, I ask him, Hey, uh, so what do you do with the ministry? And he told me that he does a lot of things, but one of the main things he does is work with pastors. I said, okay, how's that? And he said, well, it's, it, it's not the greatest. <laughs> I asked him why, laughing. And uh, he tells me, oh, you know, Titus and Thessalonians and the qualifications of an elder and blah, blah, blah. And these are all verses I, have, I was familiar with. I just never really internalized them. And he just said, yeah, sometimes I got to go to these guys and say, hey, listen, man. Until you get this thing in check in your life, maybe you got to think about stepping back for a season because you're not in a good place. And he told me most pastors don't want to hear that. And uh, that hit me like a ton of bricks because I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, 
Carl, you're going to seminary to follow a calling. And this young guy unknowingly basically just dressed you down and said, what the heck are you doing? You need to get this thing with. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was it. It was just, um, that conversation was a huge shift for me. Just totally changed my perspective because then it started, it stopped becoming about, Hey, I can't look at porn uh, because I'm not supposed to, and I'm just going to try harder to more of a positive perspective where it was, you can look at porn, but that's going to prevent you from doing what you really want to do with your life. And is that a trade off you're willing to pay? And the answer always was no. You're like, yeah, I can go look at naked women for an hour or I can keep working towards whatever I feel my life calling is. Well, I think my calling is a lot more valuable and important to me than, uh, than just looking at, you know, going online and uh, downloading porn for the next hour. And that was a, that was a big shift for me. So this is a, a pivotal, a tipping, a tipping point in your life where you recognize, Hey, um, it's basically going to be one or the other. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of disqualifying myself if I can't get this in check and while that, that sounds great, you've already done everything you can in your own willpower, and up to this point, nothing has worked. So right. what, what happens now where, okay, you, obviously, as you stated, at 39, you were able to break free from that. I mean, our listeners are going to be saying, okay, how? You know, what are those steps? I mean, how do I get to that place? Some people may be listening and say, I don't want to break free. Hey, nothing, obviously, as you already stated, we can do for you. But for people that are listening and say, okay, this is what I want to know. How in the world do I break free? So, yeah, you reach this tipping point where you recognize you've got to do so or, or give up your main mission and purpose in life. But obviously up to this point, you haven't figured out how to do it. So how does that begin to happen? Yeah, so that's why I said for me it was one of these weird situations where I wasn't able to put together all the puzzle pieces till much later. It kind of backed in to the solution unknowingly um, because, yeah, I had an accountability partner at that point. I was doing a lot more work with that, meeting with them regularly. And one of the first things we tell people is, hey, if this is something you're dealing with, you need people. Like, you need people in your corner. You need support. That's if you're, if you try to do this alone, it ain't going to work. So I kind of backed into that. Um, and I said earlier when we were talking about porn, not being so much a sexual problem as it's an escape thing, often connected to personal shame of some sort that you're carrying around because of trauma in your life. So for me, and again, I didn't get to, I didn't put together these pieces until later, but for me, a big factor was the fact that I was working in the insurance agency in the insurance industry with my family and I had gone to college and I was going to, you know, going to go to law school. Then I was looking at physical therapy and then I ended up going in the insurance business. And in my mind, that was a short-term fix, but then I was there 17 years and I'm looking around at, you know, my old fraternity brothers and other guys I know. And I see them having these really great careers. And I'm not saying my career in theory wasn't good, but I had this, I guess you'd say shame. I was carrying around that. Gosh, what am I doing? This is this sucks. And uh, and usually it, it all made sense because when I acted out, it was usually like I had my own office, so I could do it. But I usually acted out at work. I'm, I didn't act out at home. When I was away from work, I was 
pretty good usually. It was only at work because that's where the realization that I'm just in this career I can't stand and it doesn't do anything for me would, would kick in. So it, 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 all, it all connected because now I had something that um, I felt was this, this is what I was meant for. This is for me. This is more fulfilling than what I'm at, where, where I'm at now. And so since I desired that so much more, um, it was, it was a lot easier to put down the porn because it was going to get me out of that situation where I just felt like I was at a dead end, dead end job. Right. Um, and that's why I said, like, I was free at 30. I mean, I was sober at 39, but I wouldn't necessarily say I was free because if let's just say a year later, I get a job with triple X church and then they fire me for some unknown reason. I don't know how that would have affected me if I had to go right back in the insurance business. If I had nothing, if, if that was it for me, right. I don't know how that would have affected me. It, it might've, it might've rocked me. Um, but I was able to kind of realize these things along the way. And, uh, and, and, you know, now I'm free. I mean, like if I had to go back in the insurance business, I'm not going to start looking at porn all of a sudden, you know, cause I understand that my value is in, isn't in what I do or what I accomplish or, you know, a lot of identity issues I have, I have resolved since then. So if, if you're dealing with it now, um, not saying you can't get to that same situation accidentally, or if you will, like I did, but it takes a lot longer, right? It's going to take a while. Whereas if you get the community, um, if you get the education, if you will, so that means, you know, books, courses, counseling, right? And you start dealing with these things that I kind of dealt with over a period of time. Yeah. Like you can start putting together the pieces and, and start finding a way out of this thing for sure. Uh, but if you're just winging it and trying willpower alone, it's, that's never going to get you anywhere. So a person listening to the podcast today that, that again is in that situation where they're saying, listen, this is a dog's life, man. Um, I'm in quicksand. I can't get out of it. I've tried everything I can. It seems like just like quicksand. The more I move, the deeper I go. Your advice to them would be, okay, I, you mentioned a couple of things. One's community, um, yep. it, meaning obviously by that, uh, a network of other people who are in a yep. similar scenario that are looking to get out of the quagmire. Um, another thing, I don't think you actually use the word therapy. I think you use the word counseling, but, but n- needless to say in the same realm, um, am I on track so far? Yeah. And, yep. then, and, and then is there anything else that you would say? I mean, okay. Yeah. You, you recognize you got a problem. You're willing to, to get in a network of other people that are wanting to get help. You're willing to go to counseling therapy, whatever. Are there other steps for people that are listening to this podcast that say, man, okay, is there something else I need to do? Is there something else that you would, you would say to them? Um, no, I mean, yes and no, but primarily those are, those are the two big things, right? It's, those are the two things that are usually lacking in someone's life when it comes to the struggle. It's one, they usually are lacking a community of support. They're not talking to people about their issues. They're too shameful to share their, their, their deep, dark secrets. That's usually number one. And number two is they just don't understand the, the real nature of what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Again, they think it's behavior modification. 
it's about willpower. It's because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out. we get guys, we get men usually messaging us through Instagram sometimes on our Instagram channel. Man, I just, I just feel like I have a really overly sexual, you know, I think I have a huge sexual appetite as compared to the average guy. And and they think that's just something they were born with rather than, yeah, you, you probably do have a bigger appetite, but it's not necessarily because of your genetics, your DNA. It's because of what you've been doing in your brain all these years in terms of how you act out sexually. Um, but I'd say those are the two big things. Now, obviously, faith is a part of all this, but that's all – that's, it, it's not like faith is this third component. Faith is the overriding component in all, right? If you understand your identity and your and your value and what those things lie in, and you escape the shame and you you start dealing with the shame um, struggles in your life, um, that's going to help you deal with the trauma. That's going to help you see the reality of what you're dealing with, and and that you don't have to do these things to kind of get out or escape. Um, that's, that's all part of it. So, but I would say those are the two big things. And usually if someone says, well, where's, what's the best place to start? The best place to start is get a community. But eventually, yes, you, you need to learn about what you're dealing with. Yes. It's probably going to be ideal for you to talk to someone about it to help you kind of get to those, uh, deeper pains that you've been carrying around all your life. But I've never, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I've never met a person yet who is truly completely free of their past pornography struggles that did it all solo, right? They went to the bookstore, they bought a book, maybe they did a video course, but they've never told another soul about it. I've never met anyone like that. Right. You know, you, you, you need to involve other people. So I would say that's the essential element because even, even if you walk in, like, so with our community, live free community, that's like an online, basically text chat based, community it's not video or anything like that but we've guys come in the community all the time and you can just tell by their posts they have no idea what they're dealing with they only know what they've heard over the years which is completely wrong um but now they're in a space where they're sharing and uh, there's a certain amount of freedom there because they're finally able to get this off their chest without feeling a bunch of shame and condemnation and then through those conversations through the content through other people's feedback, they start to get some of those missing pieces. Well, I never realized that. Oh, what? Wait, what are you talking about? What what book is that? Right. right? So it, it can all, all that other stuff can eventually come along um, and, and you'll get exposed to that by being involved in, in some sort of support community because the guys that have been there and have been successful are going to be available to kind of share with you some of the things that help them get free. Right. Well, and I, I bet there are people, again, speaking to people who listen to this podcast that are believers. And, and, and then let me quantify this a little bit. So uh, as an example, I know people who um, I would stake my life on who are true followers of Christ. I don't mean they just intellectually believe in God. They believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. They have personally accepted him as their savior in their life. They've asked God to forgive them and their relationship is real. And I know people that have this true relationship, again, not just baptized or confirmed or whatever, but I mean, they truly received Christ as their Savior, who met the Lord and have broke free from 
you name the addiction, gambling, pornography, drugs, alcohol, the list, pride, whatever, it goes on and on. On the flip side, I know people that have a genuine relationship with Jesus. And uh, I've got a friend right now that I grew up with, and I would stake my life on his, he, his relationship with Jesus is just as real as mine. And yet he overcomes his drug addiction, and he was free for six years and then fell back into it. And he's been through numerous seasons where he was free and then fell back into it. And so mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is saying that faith is a huge component. I mean, um, I'm not, as the old saying goes, I'm not who I want to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be because of my relationship to God. And I do believe that through the power of God, any chain can be broken. Uh, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't do what I do. However, at the same time, even though I do believe that, and I do believe faith not only can, but should be a huge component. And I do know that when you have a real relationship with Jesus, again, not just an intellectual knowledge, that you then have a power that comes from God that you did not ordinarily have. However, that doesn't mean that because you have a relationship with God, that there aren't struggles and that you may not fall into certain patterns or sins. Um, so, um, I, and I think that's one of the reasons why people who are believers who struggle with whatever addiction are very apprehensive and fearful, not only of condemnation, but of coming out and being honest about it because they feel as though there's going to be retribution or they're going to be isolated or gossiped about or, or condemned. So the point that I'm making is, is that if you're a believer today and you say, gosh, man, how can I be a believer and struggle? Well, believers struggle. I mean, the Bible is full of people that some of the greatest heroes in the Bible committed murder, adultery. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But while I do agree with you that community is huge, I think therapy is great. I think counseling is great. I've gone to marriage counseling off and on my entire marriage. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not embarrassed of it. Um, I tune up my car, and I think tuning up up my marriage is a great thing. But I don't want to, and I know that you're not doing so either. I, I don't want to leave out, though, this component of faith. Because I do believe that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was slaughtered on Dead Man's Hill, that he did that so that people could, well, as he said it, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not just an existence, Mm -hmm. but a true life. And so I think that third component of faith, um, I, I don't think that just because you have faith makes you inoculated from addictions or problems but I do believe that it gives you a supernatural ability and power that you wouldn't otherwise have. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll keep it quick, but Doug Weiss, uh, you've heard of him. He's a pretty well-known therapist, but he had a great story. He brought up the, the prodigal son and kind of compared that to pornography addiction. And he just said, Hey, you know what? Prodigal son, was loved by was loved by his father, right? And then he decided he knew better, and so he took off. No doubt. And then he's out there in the pig field, saying, "Ah, oh, my goodness, you know what the heck was I thinking?" And he, he hit his rock bottom, and so he goes back, and his father says, "Yeah, I accept you and love you, and you've always been accepted and loved." And he 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 restores him, right? But the thing that we miss sometimes 
uh, in that story is that there was work involved, right? The father always loved him, but he didn't send out the limo with the skinny rims to pick the kid out of the, the pig field. Right. Right. The kid had to do some work. He had to, he had to walk a long way. There, there was effort there, right? He, he basically had to put his effort where his mouth was and say, Hey, you know what? This, being restored to my dad means something. So I'm going to do whatever is necessary to do it. Um, and the restoration was always there. It was always available, but he had to still do some work. And so I think that when you're dealing with Christians, sometimes there's this idea of, Oh, well, if I just pray enough, it'll go away. No, not necessarily. No, I mean, I know there's some who claim that, that who have claimed that, but even Doug says the thousands and thousands and thousands of men he's met, he's only met maybe two where that actually happened. You know, like this magical God hit me on the head with a fairy wand thing. And like all of a sudden I was free. Um, usually there's work to be bought. There's, there's work to be done. You know, there's, there's, the, there's the work of confession and accountability and, and joining the community and doing these things. There's a lot of work involved, but the possibility of restoration, full restoration is always there uh, for his children. And, uh, you know, I would put myself in that category because some of the things I've done since my sobriety and then freedom are completely crazy, you know, from a from a normal perspective, right? How could a guy who dealt with pornography uh, for 20 plus years, for many, many years when he was working with Triple X Church, go to five, six, seven porn shows a year to hand out Bibles? And you're literally on the floor with, with porn stars and people walking around with barely nothing. How does a guy do that without feeling triggered to act out or feeling the temptation to do this or do that? And I don't have an explanation. I just know I got healed in that area of my life. And so I was empowered to be able to go out and, and run these missions teams without it becoming a, a trigger for a major relapse, right? Like, that's pretty miraculous. I didn't do anything there. I, it's unexplainable. But I had to do some work in the process to, to get there. And that's where you're and saying I, that the community, the therapy, and the faith all together work simultaneously to bring you where yeah. you are today. You know, I love what you Absolutely. said, man. Uh, and I, I know the story of the prodigal son very, very well. And uh, I often speak on this topic. And I think, I think you make a very valid point in that there are several components. Number one, the son had to hit rock bottom, as you said. But even that wasn't enough. He had to be willing to walk away from the traps that ensnared him. He had to be willing to turn his back. In a biblical context, we call that repentance, where he said, okay, where I'm at is not where I need to be, not where I'm supposed to be, and I need to turn my back on it. And then, as you stated, the father's love for him had never changed, but yet the father didn't go running after him. There was a season where he had to allow his son rather than he could have went out to think he was helping him, but he might have been doing more enabling than anything else. He had to allow him to hit rock bottom. And and I, I love another thing that you said. Um, and I do believe, and I know of stories where people have prayed away alcoholism, gambling, pornography. But I would also agree with you, while that does happen, um, I would say it's the exception rather than the norm for somebody that's deep into some addiction. I'm not saying that it can't happen. God can do anything. But right. I would say this, for people that are listening to this podcast, if you say, well, you know, I've been struggling with uh, gambling addiction, drug addiction, pornography addiction, pride addiction, money addiction, what, whatever, work addiction, 
and I've been praying it away for years and I haven't broke free from it. Well, you're out of your mind. I mean, if you're still thinking that I'm just going to pray it away and you've been doing this for years and there's been no change and you're not only in the quicksand, but you're deeper than you were, it's time to realize that while I would never encourage you to quit praying about it, that praying alone is not enough. As you said, there's work that has to be done, i.e., as you said in the prodigal son story, work of going back home, work of making things right, work of coming out of secrecy, work of confession, work of allowing uh, my father and my family to help bring restoration. So I, I think you're onto something there. And I know that there might be people that are listening to the podcast again, that, yeah, we would all like to have a drive through Christianity where whatever problem we have, we just drive through and God heal it and it's all fixed and everything's great. And again, God does that sometimes. I mean, I got saved at 21, man. I was suicidal. I was an alcoholic. And I mean, God set me free. It happens. But again, to stay in that scenario and think, well, if I just prayed harder, if I just had greater faith, if I just believed more and things aren't changing, then you need to come to a realization that there needs to be more steps taken than that. And man, I I think honestly, that's the crux of today's message, you know, in trying to pull this thing together. If you're a person that's fighting this addiction or any, number one, hey, let me tell you something. While you may be shamed and while the enemy may condemn you, your father still loves you. If you're a true believer, the father still loves you. And no matter what you do, his love for you won't change. Now, yes, he will allow consequences in your life. Yes, he will allow repercussions, not because he's a mean God, but because he's a loving God and he wants to bring you back home. The second thing is, is not only does God still love you in spite of this addiction that you can't break free from, but he wants to restore you. That God is in the business of healing people. I just finished putting together on a message a guy that was demon-possessed, suicidal, and God restored him. And God has the ability to do that. And quite frankly, as you already stated, you're not going to do it on your own. Let, let God be a part of that process. Nothing wrong with letting a counselor or a therapist or a network or a support group be a part of that. So you need to know God loves you, that God wants to restore you, and that God can bring healing. But again, you've got to do your part as well. And then I would say to people that may be listening to today's podcast, and maybe you're not a believer. Hey, listen, there are people that listen to our podcast that are not Christians. I get that. Hey, I want to say something to you. Even if you overcome whatever addiction it is, whether it's pornography or something else, as great as that may be, if you conclude your life having broken free from an addiction, but you still die without a relationship with Christ, you've not won. You've lost everything that God has a purpose for your life and he doesn't have a purpose for you to be locked in some kind of chains of some kind of bondage and that he wants you to come to him just the way you are. You don't got to get cleaned up. You don't got to get free. If you don't have a relationship with God and his son, he wants you to come to him just the way you are today. And all that means is, is that you recognize his son died in your place. He died for you. He died because of you. And that you're willing to not just join a church or change your way of living, but you're willing to come to him and say, Jesus, I know you died for me. I want a relationship with you. I put my faith in you, my trust in you. I'm receiving you as my Savior. It may not be those exact words, but it's your cry to God saying, Jesus, come into my life. He'll do that today. And he will give you a supernatural power that you don't already have. 
Man, listen, I, I tell you what, it has been phenomenal having you on today, Carl. Mad respect for you, buddy. Number one, for your transparency and your authenticity. We need more people, especially who are believers, that are unashamed to come out and say, this is my issue. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it, but I want to help other people. I think that's God's purpose is for us to use our deliverance to help other people. Before we wrap yep. up today, though, man, I think it's extremely important you know, you mentioned today you're connected with Fireworks Ministry, a live-free ministry. There's even a ministry there for wives. Um, you wrote a book called When Shame Gets Real. Man, I want to encourage our listeners. How can they get a copy of that book, Carl? Honestly, the easiest thing to do for all our resources, if, if you go to triplexchurch.com, so xxxchurch.com, links to everything we talked about is right on the homepage. You know, our small groups program, our app. Uh, the book, if they're only interested in checking out the book, just go, just go to whenshamegetsreal.com. You can download a free chapter and check it out. Um, and that book, uh, yeah, I wrote that book because honestly so much of it, it, it honestly deals with or talks about a lot of the stuff you and I talk about in many ways because so much of this is related to personal shame, identity issues, things like that, which, again, speaks to the whole thing of why we need God. Right, because our identity is in the wrong thing. Yeah. And what does that really look like? And what does that really mean? And why, why if our identity is in our performance, does that often lead to problematic issues? Like we, it talks about all of that. So, but triplexchurch.com, you can find everything we offer uh, right on that website. The resources for men and women are both on there as well. Yeah, if um, there's a section of the site called spouses. And if you go to the spouses, or if you go actually to our, there's a resources page. If you go to the resources page, you'll find a link to the Live Free Wives community as well. And that's a free community for any any spouse. They, they just answer a few questions, and then uh, you get approved, and you get free entrance in the community. And there's, I think that community is almost up to 1,000 women at this point. So Man. it's growing rapidly. Yeah. That's awesome, Carl. Man, listen, appreciate your time today. Love what you're doing. Love you, man. And um Man, just keep doing what you're doing. There's a lot of folks that need to hear what you got to say. I appreciate your time today. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. 